Let me encourage you to uh, crack open your Bible or uh, turn on your Bible uh, to John chapter 9, and uh, I'm going to just spend a little bit of time uh, just walking through a couple of principles that I think are critical for uh, us as individuals and us as a church that we would glean from this particular story that we've heard already in John chapter 9. Uh, this is the, the, the first and the bulk of the story. There's a little uh, bit of it at the end uh, that we'll come back to next Sunday and pick up, and I'll finish out the rest of the chapter. But I wanted to, to get our attention focused in on this particular uh, outcast of a man here in John chapter 9. In dealing with this idea of are we going to find our way or not, and there are some people that, uh, that they willfully have decided, uh, I'm not going to find my way. I'm not really interested in finding the Jesus way. I kind of like the, the, the me way of things. And so I want to persuade you today uh, that there is a Jesus kind of way for us to follow here. But it does begin with this man who is an outcast. Now, maybe just even that word uh, begins to kind of rumble around in your heart and in your mind because you identify with the idea of being an outcast. Now, there are probably a, a handful of people here in the room that never in your entire life have you ever felt like an outcast. You feel comfortable in every circumstance. You make friends everywhere you go. Everybody likes you. you, you you've always sat at the cool kids' table when you were in high school. Uh, maybe there are some people here that, that you, you've always kind of felt comfortable everywhere you went, but then there's basically all the rest of us that there are these times in our lives where we feel like an outcast. Maybe it was when you were in, in school and maybe you were picked on for some particular thing or you were the new employee at the company and you weren't so sure if you were really going to fit into the corporate culture and you're, all of your, um, your coworkers, they had a lot of time together already and so they had a lot of inside jokes and backstory that you just kept feeling like, I don't know that I fit in and, and, and the boss that you thought was going to be awesome turned out to be kind of the opposite of awesome and and so you felt like an outcast. Or maybe it's even in religious uh, kind of community, maybe in a church that, that you have kind of, you, you've come in and out, maybe this is your first time here, or maybe this is your 10,000th time here, and, and you've always kind of tiptoed in with the fear that all the rest of us are going to find out the real you. That, that, we're all, that something's going to happen and we're going to uncover who you really are. And so you've always felt like you didn't quite fit in. Well, this particular guy in John chapter 9, the man who is born blind, we're, we're not told his name. We don't know, you know, his name from this particular passage. But by virtue of the fact that he was born blind, he was an outcast in society. And, and it would have meant that everybody, both in the Jewish religious culture, but then in Roman culture as a whole, would have figured that there's something wrong with this guy or his family because whatever powers there are in the universe have cursed them. And so he's an outcast. And we find as we read through the story that this is a guy who sat out in the city gates begging because this is the only thing that a blind man could do in the ancient world was to beg he just had to sit uh, there at the city gates, and, and he would call out for alms, A-L-M-S, and he would call out for people to give him basically contributions. This is the only way that he could bring any financial support into his own life or into his family's household. 
And so it says there in verse 1, as he was passing by, talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked. Now, this is not even like the enemies of Jesus. These are the people that are traveling around with Jesus that are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And they said, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We, do, we must do the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The first thing that I, I want you to see is that if you're a person to here today who is in pain, that God sees you. You have not gone unnoticed by the creator of the universe. There is this temptation that lurks in all of our hearts that when we're in pain and we're in distress, that somehow God has forgotten us, that we have dropped off of the divine radar in some way. And yet Jesus, while he's on the earth for this incredibly short amount of time, it says as he's walking by, he sees the guy that is in pain. And all of the rest of the disciples, the ones that are actually trying really hard, have unfortunately a distorted view of God. They have this banker view of God. They have this transactional view of God that if I do good stuff, then Jesus gives me good stuff. And if I do bad stuff, then all I get is bad stuff. They have, they, even in the early stages of Jesus' ministry, they're having a hard time with the concept of divine authority and divine grace. And so Jesus wants to interrupt this uh, distorted view of God in their hearts. And so they asked the question that was normal to the culture. Okay, so who messed up? I mean, here's this poor guy, this outcast of society, sitting over here at the gate, having to beg for money. So who messed up the whole family? Who is it that sinned? Is it this guy, or did his parents sin? The, the larger implications is that there's somebody in this guy's family tree that has so offended God that God has struck a baby with blindness. Who messed up? And Jesus gives an incredible answer that he says, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. I, I want you to rest with assurance today that if you find yourself in a place of pain, you find your place of distress, it's emotional, it's financial, it's physical, there is a, uh, you know, you, you have pain in a joint, you have pain in your heart. You have pain because of a relationship that feels like it's tearing apart. You have pain that has, that has existed since the time you came into the earth, and it persists to this day. That if you find yourself in that place of pain, that you are in the place now that God wants to display His providence and His care and His works in you. This is why the Bible tells us over and over again that, that we should not grow in despair because there is pain. The normal pain of the world becomes the place of the divine providence of God. The natural suffering that we encounter is the place where the supernatural power of the Spirit shows up in our lives. 
And so it's not that we go looking for pain or that we relish pain. I mean, you have to be psychotic to like pain, but it becomes a spiritual recognition that when I reach this place where life is hard, that suddenly I realize, well, everybody's life is hard. I don't know anybody whose life is not hard. Who, who just has an easy life. All of us are dealing with hardships, from the wealthiest person you can meet to the poorest person you can meet, from the healthiest to the most diseased, from the one who feel that it looks like from the outside everything is fine to the one that it looks like their life is flying apart at the seams. All of us are dealing with this problem of pain. And Jesus takes this opportunity to say the natural reality of pain in the life of a human being is the place where the supernatural reality of God's power gets shown off. And so this morning, if you're in this place where there is pain in your life, whether it is physical or emotional or spiritual, this is a moment where God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, can bring to light a level of grace and mercy that perhaps you've never thought possible in your life. It takes a reordering, though, of our view of God, that this is not just a banker in heaven who is doling out good stuff for good boys and girls and bad stuff for bad boys and girls, but rather this is the providential, graceful God of creation, King of glory, who knows that in in this life, on this terrestrial ball, this little third-rate mud ball circling around a relatively small star in the vast universe where He decided to grace us with life and with His presence, that in the midst of all of the mess that we find ourselves in, that He wants to show up with His works and with His power and His grace. And so if you're in pain today, you are number one on His list to receive grace. Then we go through the rest of the story, and Jesus does all this weird and crazy stuff, spitting in the dirt and making mud and slathering it on this guy's eyeballs, and then sending him off to the pool of Siloam for him to wash. It's interesting that in the midst of this guy getting healed, he, he doesn't even see Jesus. He hasn't even seen his healer yet when he gets his sight comes up out of the water of that pool, I guess, like a shot, like a rocket, you know, suddenly being able to see, having not been able to see. And, and suddenly the, the story gets around, and the neighbors find out about it, and they say, isn't this the guy who was the beggar? And how do we know that this really is the one who got his eyes opened? And then the Pharisees come along, man, a bunch of knuckleheads and and so they start questioning him as well, and, and they want to know, how did this happen? And he said, well, there's this dude, his name is Jesus. He came along, and I heard him make some noise with his mouth, and that was kind of gross, and he made mud, and he, he, he put it on my, on my eyes, and I went and washed, and now I can see. I, and so they, they want to question this guy about the whole thing. Well, I, you know, is he a prophet? Well, I don't know if he's a prophet or not. Here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. I was blind, I met Jesus, and now I can see. I mean, how many of you have got a testimony like that? Uh, that you were busted and broken and mired down in life, and you don't know how it happened, but your life was a wreck, 
and you were without hope, and you were without forgiveness, and then you met Jesus, and bam, everything changed. and, And if we ever forget that moment, then that's what takes us off of the mission of God. When we start remembering life differently, oh, well, I was never broken. Oh, I was always fine. Oh, things were always going on the right track. And Jesus, he just kind of aimed me a little bit better. I had it all going just fine. You know, I was doing good. And and I added Jesus. I got a little sprinkle of Jesus into my life. Well, you don't just like season your life with Jesus. He redefines. You go from blind to being able to see. You go from, uh, you know, broken to being mended. You go from wounded to being made whole. You go from being dead to being alive when you meet Jesus. And so for those of us that find ourselves in pain, we need to recognize that this is the place where God can show off His work. Now, I want to run you to the end of the story here. There in verse 30 is they have begun to basically kind of throw out, you know, sarcastic barbs and Uh, They're not going to believe the guy. They don't want to believe about Jesus. Basically, they're looking for some reason to catch Jesus uh, in a lie or in in some way that he's broken the law. And and they inadvertently admit that Jesus actually did heal the guy in the fact that they say, well, he's not supposed to be working on the Sabbath, though. You know, so they basically admit that on the Sabbath, Jesus did something incredible that made this guy see, but then they want to circle back around and say, oh, but, but, but wait, we're not even so sure that he performed the miracle. I mean, they're just mad at Jesus because he did any kind of work of God, and they're trying to catch him in such a way so that they can have him arrested. And the man, born blind, an outcast of society which would have meant in that ancient day that he would have received zero kind of academic training. He would have never gone to school. He would have never been trained in anything. He would have never sat under a teacher or a rabbi or anything to kind of sharpen his thinking or his skill sets of of logic and philosophy. This would have been a guy that from his early childhood would have sat at a city gate with his hands open just crying out as a beggar that people would drop coins into his hands that he could take home to his mom and dad. That, that would have been his existence. And yet here, at the end of the passage, he gives this airtight argument for why Jesus really is who Jesus says he is. Here in verse 30, the man told them, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, so He tells them a historical theological truth. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does His will, He listens to Him. Throughout history, now He's going to teach them history. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. He takes them on this quick, logical progression that the only way that Jesus can accomplish this is that he's actually from God, because this is a historical impossibility. This is one of those things that's never happened. And yet, 
This man, this outcast of society, this man who just a few moments ago was blind, couldn't see anything, now is able to see everything, and not just see everything physically, but now has a spiritual insight that is deeper than the Pharisees who have studied from their young adolescence about how to keep the law of God. I want you to see clearly that those who are mended from a great pain have a great depth of understanding about grace that the rest of us greatly need. The people that are mended from a great pain have an understanding of the great depth of grace that the rest of us greatly need. And it is a shame and it is a tragedy that the Pharisees are unwilling to learn from this man who has just been healed through his encounter with Jesus because they are too busy being morally smug. They're too busy being better than this guy to learn about what it looks like to have an encounter with Jesus. And this is what religious elitism does to all of us that we get so busy being better than all of those other people that when they do have a deep and profound encounter with Jesus, we're too busy being better than them to actually learn from them about the power of the Spirit that has come upon them. Because our lives are neat and clean and pristine, and we've never had all of that mess in our lives, and so what is it that I've got to learn from him or from her? And maybe, just maybe, it is one of these raucous teenagers that's in our student ministry on Wednesday nights that comes from a jacked-up family that is one day going to become the next great leader of our church. Maybe, just maybe, it's the functional alcoholic that gets healed and sober through the power of the grace of Jesus that suddenly becomes a great teacher of His Word. Maybe it's the person who has the background of addiction or incarceration or rabid adultery that gets healed healed by the grace and the gospel of Jesus that becomes the great leader among us. But that can only happen if we stop treating people like projects to fix and we start treating them like brothers and sisters in the faith. Folks, we face a community that is filled, that is overwhelmed and overrun by broken people. And they are the ones in whom God wants to display His works. They are not the people that Jesus has sent us to fix, to make neat and clean and pristine and get them all washed up and gussied up for the right kind of, of presentation. But instead, they are the people that God has, is going to display the power of His grace through. This is what happens to the guy who gets born blind. He is the outcast of outcasts. He is the one that even the followers of Jesus said, this guy must have so much sin in his life or in his family's life that the God of the universe has peered down through the millions of people that are on the earth and zapped him. I mean, God must be really, really mad at this guy because he is such an outcast. He is so broken. His life is so messed up. God must absolutely hate this guy. And Jesus said, you got it completely wrong. 
God is going to take the natural sufferings that happens in the world to all of us, and He is going to display His supernatural grace in a person that you think is so messed up beyond all repair to the point that He becomes the one who's teaching the teachers of the law. And we need to follow suit with Jesus here. And we need to be willing to humble ourselves to know that the person whose life is so messed up that we think it's beyond all repair, that it's so messed up that, that we very subtly, slyly, that we deceive ourselves that somehow our lives are okay and so much better in comparison to that person. To recognize that the same grace that had to save our sorry souls is the same grace that is at work in that person's soul. And that they are not a project that we need to come along and we need to fix them and we need to make sure that they're okay and we need to make sure that we've put all the right, you know, kind of bows and whistles onto their lives. But rather, the person who's been broken and then healed by God's grace, that what we should do is sit down in their presence and say, please, tell me of the great grace of God. Explain to me the great mercy of the Father in heaven. Show to me a life that is filled with the power of the Spirit so that I can learn along with you. So that in rather than us telling them to sit at our feet so they can learn from us, the good, religious, neat, clean Baptist people, that instead we lock arms with them and say, let's walk this road together. We face this temptation. Because there's, I look out and there's so many of you that you've, you've enjoyed a life filled with grace. But we all are fully aware that among our ranks right now as a church family, that there are people who have been rescued from deep, dark holes in this world. That have been rescued out of all sorts of addictions, and sin-laden lives. And we have entrusted to them leadership in the life of our church, leadership in our life groups, leadership with our children and our students' ministries, because we have seen this life that has been redeemed by the power of the cross, and we celebrate it. And so can we continue to walk that road to find broken people that can get introduced to the grace of God, not so that they can just be in the room with us, but so they can be the leaders of us? that we can allow those who were once the outcasts to become the leaders of grace and mercy among us. I want to encourage you this morning that this is a story that is not just 2,000 years old. This is the story of today, that there are outcasts in our community that God has the deep desire to display His mercy and His grace through. And today, you might feel like one of the outcasts. You might feel like that one who, I can't do anything but just beg for crumbs from other people's tables. And if that's you, you are number one on God's list that He wants to display His works in your life. He doesn't want you to just eat crumbs from the table. He wants you to take your seat at the banquet with the King of glory. He wants you to come fully into His kingdom as His child and as his own, he wants you to know the grace and the mercy that flows from the Father's throne. And you find that in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus. You find it in his resurrection power that the Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in you. 
He doesn't just give you a little bit of drip here and a little bit of drop there, but the rushing torrent of God's power that raises Jesus from the dead can be at work in the worst life on the face of the planet, and you feel like that's you, then you are candidate number one. And for the rest of us that maybe we've walked with Jesus for a, a little while or a long time, that we decide that we stop posing, that we stop trying to be statuesque with our Christianity, uh, that we stop trying to put on airs that somehow, and we drop the moral superiority that somehow my life is so much better than all of those other people, but instead that we look for people who are broken and have been mended by the gospel and instead of turning them into projects to fix and to make them look more like us, that instead we walk arm in arm with them in mutual discipleship so that, that we can all look more like Jesus. I want us to take a few minutes to pray this morning, and I'll ask you to pray about two different things. Number one, I want you to pray about your own life, about maybe you're the person that you feel very broken. Maybe your brokenness is very hidden, yet nobody else knows about it. Perhaps it's some secret sin in your life, a temptation that you uh, feel like is just persisting, and there is a brokenness there that you've not told another human soul. Or maybe it's a, a brokenness that, uh, quite frankly, everybody else knows about. Everybody looks at your life, and they know it's completely jacked up. Whichever side of the spectrum you find yourself on, this is an opportunity for you to call out to the God of grace and of glory to say, I want to be just like this guy who was healed of his blindness. My brokenness is where I want your work, God, to show up. And for some of you this morning, that means that this might be the moment of your salvation, where you have kind of shoved off God and shoved off God and tried to do it on your own, but this is the moment where you say, okay, I get it. Jesus really is the King of glory. Jesus really is the Son of God. He really did rise from the dead and I want to put my faith in Him for my own eternal salvation, for forgiveness of my sins and eternal life with God, this is, might be the moment where you just cry out for the work of God to be done in your life, whether it is in the temporary things of this earth or whether it's in the eternal realm of salvation. And then for the rest of us, maybe all of the rest of us that are already saved, maybe there's, it's time for you to, to cry out to the Lord that you're ready to humble yourself into the place of ministry in our community that you're willing to look full-faced into where we live, into this community that is just a few blocks in this direction, uh, that this is a community that is filled with broken lives, and that we're not going to see them as projects to fix, but that we're going to see these as uh, potential fellow brothers and sisters in the faith to walk into the grand mission of God together, that we're not just looking for people to populate our programs so that a, a congregational system can survive, but rather what we want is for a people who are broken by sin to be the population of the kingdom of God, to be our fellow and joint heirs with Christ, that these are people that we're not just going to teach, but we're going to learn from, that these are not just going to be people that we go and we rescue, that these are people that we're going to serve with, that these are people that are not just going to be the ones that we try to fix along the way and drop in every once in a while into their lives and do a little bit of moralistic, therapeutic work on them, but rather we're going to see them as the, the sons and daughters of God who can, who can multiply the kingdom of God in places where maybe we haven't been yet. That for every prostitute that walks on 14th, for every drug deal that goes down on 26th, 
for every home that is riddled with heroin that's just a few blocks away, for every husband that is trapped in an addiction to pornography, and every wife that is trapped in depression and suicidal tendencies, for every home that doesn't know where their next meal is going to come from, for every teenager who's afraid of the next beating they're going to get from a father, for every husband and wife that's not so sure that their marriage is going to make it, and every kid who just wishes they could run away from home. These are not just people to fix their temporary circumstances. These are men and women and teenagers and boys and girls that can come fully into the kingdom of God, redeemed by the King of glory, serving beside you to win many more sons and daughters to Christ. Let's pray together. I'm gonna...